Hello, everybody, and welcome to Ask the CEO with Avraham Gatile. Today, I'd like to introduce a very special guest. He's the president and CEO of Berkeley Biotronic Systems in Metuchen, New Jersey. He's an industry leader in cybersecurity. He's been interviewed numerous times on television and followed worldwide on Twitter. Also a veteran guest on Ask the CEO. It is my pleasure to welcome back Scott Schober. Welcome, Scott. Thank you, Abraham. Wonderful to be back again. Thank you. Yeah, glad having you back. You know, Scott, I always love talking to you because the world of cyber is all-encompassing. You know, everything we do touches that world. And, you know, just talking about uh, cybersecurity, um, the Japanese cryptocurrency firm Tech Bureau Corp uh, said that about $60 million in digital currencies were stolen from its exchange. And this highlights the industry's vulnerability despite recent efforts by authorities to make it more secure. What's going on here? Well, this is a, a common problem, even going back to, I think it was the beginning of the year, maybe January, February, coin check, there was a huge theft there. So this is theft after theft after and theft. And we, we know about Mount Gox. Uh, yeah, yeah exactly. And that one, that one is notorious when we think about it. In this case, it was almost $60 million. And it was a combination of, of I guess, Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, and, and a few other coins there that were actually stolen from uh, the, the hot wallets, as, as they call it. And I guess that's kind of the, the one thing that, that stands out in my mind is, well, the first question, why does it keep happening? It's, it's a lot of it the way that people are handling their digital transactions. They're counting on going to a coin in exchange to handle it. And where they're actually storing their coins, where they're storing their, their passwords, pass keys and things, that's where the vulnerabilities are. It's not like the old days where somebody's breaking into a bank and they've got a gun or they're, they're breaking in the back door and robbing the safe or blowing it up or anything like that. That It's not needed. Now everything is digital. And so, you know, it's a, it's a good point that you're making because if you think about it, people are thinking about cryptocurrency just like they're going to the bank and putting the yeah. money in the bank, but that, that's not the case. Exactly. So I think when you're, when you're in the world of digital and you're using cryptocurrency, your mind has to kind of think a little bit differently now. And you have to think more about security, not how secure is my bank, but how secure are my transactions? Where is my money being stored? You feel comfortable when it's on your person. When it's in my wallet, in my back pocket, my cold hard cash or a credit card, I feel a sense of control and you can protect it, as, as crazy as that sounds. Well, do we have that same level with digital currency? N- not exactly. It's and out it, there somewhere. Yeah, exactly. And it's out there. And then the, what's behind it? What if it gets stolen? What's protecting you? Is there insurance behind it? Is it FDIC insured like a bank? No, right? Uh, do, you, do you take out a big club and chase the bad guy if he steals your wallet? You have a sense of I could fight somebody or stop them from taking something physical. Here, we don't have something physical. So the wallets, they're storing these secret keys as well as the exchange keys. What needs to be done better is protecting these keys, protecting the digital information there. And a lot of these uh, keys, they're stored offline, what's called that that term, the wallet. It's a cold wallet if it's stored offline. Um, But there's a good portion of the keys also that are stored on servers. 
They're connected to what? The internet, which we're all connected to. You know very well, the internet of things. Everybody wants to be connected to the internet. That would be a hot wallet. And what is that? That does is just allowing the facilitation of these transactions. But it also is a nice conduit for cyber thieves to move in there and find ways to hack and take digital cryptocurrency. So it, it's scary, but the attacker's just using similar techniques. It's placing malware often where they can gather information. Maybe it's a key logger and they're gathering information such as what, what codes we're putting in, information about digital cryptocurrency and they're compromising. That is really scary. So that chain, the cryptocurrency chain really has to be better secured. And, so, and, and, and that's so, like a fundamental problem there. It really is with, with this and others. For sure. So, so now who would be the one securing it? Is it the, the owner of the cryptocurrency or is it the exchange or both? Um, it, it, well, the onus has to take place certainly on the, the owner of the cryptocurrency to make sure, number one, are they putting it somewhere where it is safe, where there are protections and safeguards in place? And is there any software that's monitoring? If we go on our computer today, what do we do? We, we use malware protection, virus protection. We back up our, you know, all these things, steps, layers of security to protect it. What do we do if we have cryptocurrency? Not much. People that I talk to, they go, well, it's digital. I thought it's safe. It's encrypted. Well, yes, it is safe. Yes, it's digital. Yes, they use encryption. But is it throughout the entire ecosystem? No, it is not. So really, that's where you need to buy products. Uh, I'm working with a company, uh, full disclosure, of, of, of Block Safe Technologies, and they've developed some exciting products that can protect. These are actually protecting the wallet to make sure that it stays in your wallet and not getting stolen in a, in a sense. Um, it's also protecting it at the ICO. So you have to look at the exchange there. Is it protecting information? And is it from one end of the spectrum to the other, is it got protection and encryption so nobody can get in there and steal it? Think about when you're trying to enter your, your password or passkey. If you're typing that in on a screen and there happens to be malware on your computer and you don't have any type of anti-keylogger uh, software in place, what could happen? Somebody can get a copy of what you physically type in there, or they can take a screenshot of it. So the software will actually detect if there's a screen capture or screenshot of you typing in your, your password, your passkey, as well as it will garble, basically encrypt and garble any keystrokes that you make. So using software like that from, from BlockSafe Technologies or other companies that are emerging, that's powerful to protect our digital cryptocurrency. So it's important for at least people, especially these day traders and investors in cryptocurrency, looking to find ways to better secure the transactions and storing of your digital cryptocurrency. Or you may be a victim, and as we mentioned, once it's gone, it's gone. You'll never get it back, that's for sure. No, it, it's sort of like, you know how when banks transfer money they transfer them in these armored cars with, yeah, with shotguns, uh, you know, right? And those little shotgun holes. Um, imagine if you just have, have a guy, you know, one of those couriers in Manhattan, you know, on the bikes. Yeah. <laughs> <Bungo> <laughs> or he throws the money in the back of a pickup truck and cruises down the main boulevard. That's a, that's a great analogy there because it helps you to see you have to take some steps and take some initiative to protect your money. Don't count on 
the ecosystem to protect it. Because eventually, as we just mentioned here, this Japanese cryptocurrency tech firm, Tech Bureau Corp, they were compromised. And many others have been, and many more will be. Now, we know that cryptocurrency is here to stay, and the whole world is moving towards some form of cryptocurrency, right? Um, stories like this are obviously bad PR for the industry. What yeah. can the industry do to restore consumer trust? Well, I think what they want to do is really educate. It sounds like fundamental and stupid, but basic education. I've talked to many people that have bought and sold Bitcoin and Litecoin, all these other cryptocurrencies. And I say, oh, okay, well, how do you store it? And this and that. As I start the conversation, their, their eyes kind of do give me a deer in the headlight. And they're like, what do you mean? It's safe, right? I was told it was safe. You can't just trust the person that's trying to get you involved in uh, the, the buying and selling of cryptocurrencies. They probably have a motive for investing. They've got a quota. Exactly. And they got to move some coins. Exactly. So I think you got to go to, to a third party, get some advice, um, certainly get educated about it, read about it. There's tons of great articles. There's great content, such as what you put out and many other companies about cryptocurrency and uh, about well, if you don't know what a hot wallet is and cold wallet is stop to find out, read about it. What's a secure way of storing it. What's not a secure way. Ask yourself what happens if I lose um, my digital cryptocurrency, how do I get it back? You'll, you'll be surprised. So educate yourself. I think that's the best advice I could give anybody before they even start to enter the world of cryptocurrency. Yeah, I think there's a lot of um, naivete, if uh, that's the right word, yeah. right? Pe people are very trusting, you know, again, it goes back to the bank. We know that when we put money in the bank, it's safe and secure. I don't need to think about it. I don't need to question anybody. It's there forever. Right. And it's not the same with uh, cryptocurrency. So yeah, I like your suggestion about education, because ultimately, it's, it's the consumer that's on the hook for his money. Yeah, absolutely. A little bit of time in educating yourself will go a long way. And you'll also feel more comfortable. I think you have to have a level of comfort. Everybody's got different levels of comfort. Some people use a debit card. I was compromised many times. I will not use a debit card. Fortunately, I've forgotten my PIN because I don't ever use the debit card that I have because it's been compromised so many times. I focus on a credit card because I feel a level of comfort there. I can monitor a single statement. Um, I could minimize the number of times I've been hacked and compromised and the cards reissued. You have to measure your level of comfort so you're not complacent in whatever financial transactions that you're using. Great. So let's talk about another winning story. <laughs> <laughs> so a report recently came out regarding some guy who drove off with a brand new Tesla Model 3, which he stole from all of America by using only a cell phone. Now, I'm not sure which thing to be more concerned about, whether he hacked into a car and stole it or the fact that he used his cell phone. What's up with that? Yeah, there's a lot of crazy um, stories out there about hacking cars, stealing cars, and it, it all sums up and goes back to, I think, uh, basic vulnerabilities within the whole system. A lot of these systems are designed to make it easier or we get into a car now you don't necessarily turn a key what are many cars you push the button 
So what, what's happening is the mechanical mechanisms have been removed from the car. That's a wonderful thing for car manufacturers and automation and cost savings. But in the world of uh, automotive, where cars are now connected, filled with computers, filled with wireless connectivity, it's a disaster, or I should say a potential disaster for having everything compromised. And to me, it really scares me. I drive older vehicles that are not vulnerable to these attacks. Um, it's often referred to a relay attack is what the term a lot of these hackers are calling it and the reporting on because it's the passive keyless entry system that really starts your car and unlocks the doors. That's where they're targeting the area. And what, what they're doing is getting close to the key fob, the typical key fob where we press our button to unlock the car and maybe to start the car or do whatever else we have. Um, and in this case, in fairness, I should point out, Tesla didn't design the system. This is from a third party called Pectron, is the designers and manufacturers of it, and they simply buy it and it's installed in their vehicle. So not to muddy the waters of Tesla anymore, because they do make a beautiful product. Um, I don't have a Tesla yet, but hopefully in the not too distant future, I will once some of these vulnerabilities are have some <laughs> They're worked out. <laughs> so, so really what they're doing is, and he's got some of these clever thieves have actually come up with a couple different methods. They've, they've studied and they've actually collected the signature every time a key fob is pressed and the communication that's sent out from a Tesla car and put it into a database. And this, this database is huge and it has all of these different uh, codes, let's just say. And if they get close enough to the actual key fob that's transmitting, it performs a relay attack and then somebody else gets right next to the car with another secret little black box. And it basically is sending that transmission long range at high power. And that's how they can actually unlock the car and start the car. The thing that scares me the most is, and I, and I know companies that make this for law enforcement legally, it would typically sell for 30 to $40,000. Most of the, the hackers and thieves out there, they don't, they don't have that budget. <laughs> They couldn't get it, and they don't have that budget. The difference is with this attack, it was about $600 in parts that are what I call off the shelf. You can buy a Raspberry Pi, you can buy a radio, and you could glue this stuff together in your, in your own home, and suddenly you're in the um, car theft business and stealing high-end, beautiful cars, and you could take off with it. To me, that, that's a really a concern. Now, what did Tesla do? I, I give them, um, I guess, kudos for this. They, they reacted to it. Cause, so what's the fix? Um, they provided modified key fobs immediately. They took out some of the features for this passive keyless entry, and they require them to actually enter a passcode onto the uh, dash there. You know, they got the big computer dash on, on the car. And what that really is is, is putting in a form of two-factor authentication an additional layer of security to make sure it's really a person that knows the super secret code to start and drive the car away. Smart on them. And, and any owners that are a little nervous, I guess, if they have a key fob, they don't want to have somebody come in proximity of them to actually perform this relay attack. They can put it into a product, like a Faraday cage in a sense, so the RF transmissions can't get in or out of the actual uh, key fob and there's pro products called silent pocket and a whole bunch of others and it's basically a little pouch that you sl slide your key into and it protects it so nobody can get and hack into your key and or your car 
and it's probably, I don't know, 10, 15 bucks for some of these. I have a few. I put my key in it. It actually does work. And I even tested it independently in the lab. It, all key fobs typically are working at 315 megahertz. And, and it's, it's, it's very close range to garage door openers. And there's similar type of attacks you could do there. But we don't want to educate your viewers about that either. Or that's a bigger problem. Uh, but, but just the simplest thing is just protect your key. If you protect your key fob, basically, keep it on your person, put it into a little pouch, problem solved. It's that simple. And make sure if you're a Tesla owner out there, update the latest software for your car. That shouldn't be underestimated because that's forcing it to have that two-factor authentication and the additional fix for the vulnerability that's currently out there. And I think that this was discovered back uh, about uh, two months ago. And since Tesla's rushed to to patch it and make a fix for that vulnerability so nobody could further exploit it. So uh, all that's telling me is there's going to be a whole lot more hacks coming soon since these vulnerabilities are out there in the wild and hackers have fun. It's like a badge. If they can actually say, Hey, I stole a Tesla, a model S a model three or model X, whatever it is, it's kind of um, vindicating their name in the hacker community. So I can almost guarantee there are going to be a lot more hacks and a lot more crazy stories coming out in the not too distant future. And, you know, I just learned something uh, from you right now, and that is we, we need to come to terms with the fact that our vehicles are computers. Yeah. You know, we all know we need to update our Windows uh, operating system with the latest patch, yeah. right? Uh, the latest uh, software updates, but to think that you need to update your car, but if you're going to have computerized cars with those computerized panels and electronic keyless entry systems that can be accessed via cell phones, you need to have some kind of over-the-air patching in order to update it to address vulnerabilities. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point you make there. And a lot of times people drive off the dealership, whether they buy a car or everybody's leasing them these days, um, they don't think about updating your car. Yet we have to think about our car updating it like we update our laptop, like like we update our mobile devices, how we update our smartwatches. The same thing needs to be done with modern cars because of the sheer number of computers that are in there. And as vulnerabilities get discovered, they're going to come out with a patch. So just because you drive off the lot, don't think you're good to go going forward here if it's a new car. Um, Out of the 50-plus car manufacturers, every one of them has a cellular modem built in as standard equipment, whether you subscribe to a service or not, be it OnStar or be it the dealer just wants to check your engine and your fluid levels so they could push notices to you, be it an app, be it an email to send you a phone call to come in for service, whatever the case may be, whether we like it or not, we're not opting into it, but they're putting those cellular modems in there, which means your car can transmit and receive just like our mobile phone, without us realizing it. It may be at midnight. It may only be for a couple seconds, but they can basically get the status of your car without you knowing it. And that's that's important for us to realize. So it's not just 4G LTE cellular connectivity. We've got Bluetooth. We've got Bluetooth low energy. We've got near field communication. We've got RFID. We've got the 315 megahertz frequency that our key fobs are operating at and a whole lot more. So our cars are not just a lot of computers, there are a lot of wireless connectivity paired to that computer, and, and now you can even be a hotspot if you want in your own car. So well, we have to think. 
<laughs> keep it secure. Yeah, exactly. Now with 5G coming out, you're going to have 5G connectivity to your vehicles as well. Yeah, absolutely. And some of the exciting things, I think, with 5G, they're talking 100 times faster data rates and throughput. And in that, in the world of connected cars, we'll literally have our cars communicating in the various sensors, keeping us safer from getting distracted or having accidents, back smashing into somebody, going off the road, whatever the case may be, where the car will actually step in to keep us safer. All that's possible, greatly in part because of this 4G, 4.5G, now 5G technology that's coming very soon to a car dealership near you. Awesome. Scott, how do people connect with you? Well, certainly Twitter. They could reach out to me at uh, Scott BVS for my company. Uh, they could reach out if they have any questions or what have you, shoot them over. Uh, also, they could reach out to my website is Scott Schober, S-C-H-O-B-E-R.com. And you could fill out a little form there. there there's uh, If you want to ask me a question, feel free to do so. There's uh, tips I share on there, different cyber tips. There's different uh, links there for different interviews and videos of topics uh, such as this as well as a series I have, uh, What Keeps You Up at Night, where I meet with uh, experts like yourself and chat about what cyber fears that different people have and uh, some things that they can do to stay safe. Great. And yes, it was a real honor uh, being on that uh, series. Yeah, you did great. Thank you. Scott, do you have any parting words of wisdom that you'd like to share with the audience? Well, I, I always like to share with people, don't, don't look at security and and just kind of put your head in the sand and feel like it's too complex. It's too technical because really security is everybody's business, your business, my business, your listeners business. And a lot of times just by implementing simple best practices, we can make our lives secure. We can protect our assets. We could stay safe while we're online, but it's just by taking that step and implementing best practices. That's really step one to be secure. Don't worry about all the other technicalities. Just take some initial steps and you'll find it'll make your life a lot simpler and a lot less headaches than end up getting hacked as, as I learned the hard way. That's a great way to wrap up this episode. Scott, thank you so much for sharing your time and your wisdom. I really enjoyed having you on the show. Well, it was great to be on and, and uh, stay safe to all those out there.